Church Dads podcast. Join Mark Haas and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Welcome to Church Dads. Curtis, this is Church Dads episode 12. Episode 12. That will fulfill one year of Church Dads. Oh, that's amazing that we've done one year. Well, one of the episodes was like an archive talk, but still. Yes. 12. That's a significant biblical number. Welcome to Church Dads. This is a monthly podcast. I'm Mark Hawes. That's Curtis Ketty. And we are daddies that happen to work for the Catholic Church, love doing it, and we like to talk about it. So I thought you were uh, going to say, we are daddies that work for churches. <laughs> but, okay, guess not. Good. Yes, today we are talking about the Holy Spirit. We're not there yet, but we are closing in on Pentecost. That's right. <clears throat> which is uh, coming up soon. Yeah, a real feast of the Holy Spirit, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought it would be appropriate to bring up the Holy Spirit. And uh, before we do, how's the, how's the dad stuff, Curtis? How's being dad a daddy? Stuff, <clears throat> dad stuff is still happening. Um, you know, being a daddy is a, an unending adventure. If you don't know what's going to happen from day to day, you know, we're potty training our middle child, and that is not the same experience as potty training our oldest, which was much smoother. Um, Amen but to things, that. you know, <laughs> things are good. Um, we've never experienced this before in our house, where we have a two-year-old and Amy's not pregnant or holding a baby. Like, so this is a new, a new phase. Like, all of our kids are walking at the same time. You know, um, they're all talking now. And so that's that's something new for us. So we're enjoying that aspect of it. And um, I'm continuing to introduce great works of art and the film industry to my son, William, as he's reached of age to start to see some things he used to be terrified of. Like this past week, we watched Peter Pan, the live action version with uh, mm-hmm. Jason Isaacs as Hook. We watched that and then we follow that up with Hook with Robin Williams and uh, Dustin Hoffman. And uh, it was awesome. They actually go really well together, the two movies. And he had never really heard the story of Peter Pan before. And that, for me, Hook holds a near and dear place in my heart because that was the very first live action movie I ever saw in the movie theater. Wow. Um, And so, and the music, of course, is John Williams. How old were you? Uh, I think I was 10 or 11. It came out in 91. Did the boob? Did the boo box ruin you? Is that like... Ah, the Glenn Close cameo. <laughs> uh, not the Sorry. boo box. Not the boo box. Yeah, William was like, what are those? I'm like, those are scorpions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, it was great. Um, the only downside was that his favorite character in Hook was Tinkerbell. He kept saying, when is Tinkerbell coming back? And I'm like, ugh. Very soon, son. She comes back all too soon, too often. Because, of course, Julia Roberts in that movie is a disaster. <laughs> That's the 
The worst part of that movie is Julia Roberts laughing at no one, talking to no one so obviously, and being on the screen way too much because it was very likely a stipulation in her contract. <laughs> uh, it was And then becoming big. I can't believe I finally did it, Peter. Oh, it was the worst. But that was yeah. his favorite. He loves we Julia re- Roberts. Our oldest. Uh, we, we recently watched Hook for the first time. It was probably only a month or so ago. And it was because um, my parents took the kids to see the orchestra because they were doing this really cool concert, which I wanted to go to. Very unique. It was live to picture. And the picture was supposed to be like old Bugs Bunny cartoons. And the orchestra was going to be playing the music live. But the conductor got sick at the last minute and he like holds the rights to conduct that concert or whatever. So they had to cancel at the last minute. And then... They brought in some circus Soleil type act, huh. uh, acrobatic people to come do jumping stuff on the stage while at the same time the orchestra's playing all these various flying pieces of music. So they played Flight to Neverland. Uh, and I was like, it's one of my favorites, which the only time I've seen live was actually with you and your lovely wife. We went down to San Diego to a John Williams That's concert. Right. And they played Flight to Neverland. Oh, it was That's in right. my element. And so anyway, trivia, trivia in that scene, mm-hmm. Flight to Neverland, the couple that's kissing that floats up with the happy thoughts, the, the, the dust sprinkles down on them and they float up. That mm-hmm. is George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Really? Yep. They have a little hidden cameo and hooked so many cameos. Glenn Close, the boo box, and then George Lucas and Carrie Fisher making out under the street lamp. They're the ones who float up as Robin Williams is oh. flown to Neverland by he, she who must not be named. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, Julian came home and had said, uh, oh, dad, they played Harry Potter music, you know, because John Williams did all. He, he knows Harry Potter music really well. And he never heard the hook tune. So he just figured Harry Potter. And I was there like, no, no. I was like, no, dude, it was it was. Um, it was Hook. It was Flight to Neverland that they played. And so he, he started asking about what that is and what's the story with Hook. And I was like, oh, Peter Pan, da, da, da. So I just bought it on Amazon and we watched it and he loved it. And the we're children familiar. children were screaming. The children were screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many great lines. And uh, oh, yeah. we were familiar with already um, Peter Pan. Uh, the kids oh, okay. grew up watching Peter Pan, the Disney animation from like the 70s. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Which I like a lot. Um, anyway. So, Don't yeah. try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Try to stop me. Try to Smee, stop me. Stop me. Stop me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. I remember, um, you know, we had like a scale of scandalous material that we were allowed to watch. There was like a acceptable amount of poop in the brownie. It's my pastor would say, like that we were allowed to, to see as kids. But if it ever passed that scale, they we'd have to leave the movie theater or walk out or whatever, or turn off the movie. And we measured it by how many times my mom would make this sound. You know, she'd like sort of, <laughs> like we'd be watching it. And so we would do something and we'd just hear my mom go, we go, oh, that's one. <laughs> and we were we were pretty much allowed two of those sounds. And if something else happened, She'd like look at my dad and my dad be like, sorry, guys, we got to turn it off. <laughs> so so for Hook, 
there were only two moments of that sound. And it was um, two times that they say the word ass. So first Hook is doing, try to stop me this time, me. try to stop me, get off your ass and get over here and try to stop me. Either so here's that sound. And we're like, oh no, please. But then um, the, the next time was Julia Roberts is like going, telling Peter Pan after he kisses her to go save her kids. She's like, go you silly ass. But that was the only other time. It was like the only two times. And I thought it was interesting though, because that's the two meanings of the word ass. One was butt and the other one was like donkey, you jackass. So I thought they really covered all their bases. They're, uh, run could, home, could Jack. It'd be, be mothers right now with young kids going. If there are young kids listening to our podcast, that is a really boring house. A really boring <laughs> house. <laughs> yep. Anyways, we'll, ble- we'll bleep those. We'll bleep that word out um when we publicize this and it'll sound even worse they'll be like what word did he just say that's right never know at least for your mother who's a listener good all right well there's got to be a there's got to be a dog uh, a god door and all of that peter pan talk i don't know but some way we're going to segue to (laughs) the holy spirit there's totally a god door i don't know if a god door that's funny way to put it but the 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 idea of peter pan is this um this longing for childhood you know like this like this idea of you know wanting to be a child but that it, you cannot stay there forever because life is the greatest adventure of all not staying as a kid and making up games and and living that life of innocence but moving further up and further in to grow up to mature and it's you know that's suffering that's death but that's what we're called to and in the scripture it is the uh, holy spirit himself who empowers us to say abba father who empowers us to grow up in the son as children of god so i think you know like i said before every good story is related to the great story the greatest story ever and peter pan is no different for sure. There's even death and resurrection in Peter Pan. You know, I do believe in fairies. So there's, there's your God door. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll walk through the door when we come back. We're going to jump into the Holy Spirit. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Fighting the battle of parenthood? Are you in the trenches of child rearing? Join the Church Dads for a practical perspective, discussion, and encouragement. This is the Church Dads. Welcome back to Church Dads. This is episode number 12. I'll be honest, I didn't think we'd make it that far, Curtis. <clears throat> wow. Well, I'd be honest, and, and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are we here? Uh, no, this has been awesome. We're at number 12. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the paraclete, the comforter, the breath of God. Yes. And... Uh, 
any initial thoughts come to mind, Curtis, when I say <laughs> that? The, uh, you know, the third person of the Trinity? <clears throat> well, you know, I think that the Holy Trinity is, I mean, which is the central mystery of our faith in Christianity, the central mystery. It is the intimate inner life of God. Like he, he opens himself up and shares his most intimate reality with us. He did not have to share this with us. And I think when we look at the Holy Trinity, we can easily grasp the concept of a father and son. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's a little bit more nebulous, you know? And so for that reason, I feel like people don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And he kind of seems like uh, the third wheel, you know, like the Father, the Son, and, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit, which, mm-hmm. you know, we, we pray um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we don't really think of the Holy Spirit as a person. I've heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, you know, as some sort of a neutral force. It's like that's the part of the Trinity that's the Star Wars part. You know, the force that binds us, that binds all living things together. Um, But really, that's not what um, has been revealed to us by Christ. That's not what's taught by the Church. The Holy Spirit is a person, um, is a He revealed in Scripture. Um, And this is all very significant. So since we're approaching Pentecost, it makes sense that we could talk a little bit about who is the Holy Spirit, um, how do we encounter the Holy Spirit, where is he in Scripture? Um, what is the Holy Spirit's um, role in our own sanctification, in our own growing up into being sons and daughters of God and the Son? You know, so that I—that's my initial thoughts when you when you say the yeah. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as a person. We say he, he, the Holy Spirit as a he. Sometimes we hear consoler, which really means like friend. Mm-hmm. Um, the sweet guest of our soul is one description. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can't talk about the Holy Spirit without having to talk about the Trinity itself. What is the Trinity? Why is it the central mystery of our faith? And by central mystery, I mean the center, the the ultimate revelation of who God is, which is the foundation of everything else that we believe. So it's not just like, well, it's the central mystery because it's the most unintelligible. (laughs) No, it's like, this is the central mystery because everything comes back to this. Christ comes as the ultimate revelation of God, the face of God to us. And what does he reveal to us? He reveals the inner life, this this, uh, life of relationship, that God is love, that God is one God, three persons, one divine nature and three persons that possess that nature fully, each of them. So, um, yeah, I think that in order to talk about the Holy Spirit, one needs to maybe talk a little bit about what the Holy Trinity is and what it is not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I see. Um, I know that some people have tried to come up with uh, quote-unquote analogies that explain (laughs) <laughs> the Trinity, like a three-leaf clover, or like the three phases of water, or like an egg, the shell, the white, and the yolk, or even two parents and a child, like coming up, like the, the love they have is so profound that you have to name that child. But, you know, most of these analogies 
um, lead one to heresy. <laughs> um, and they're not even analogies, properly speaking, they're metaphors. So, for example, uh, calling God um, the first person father is not a metaphor, but it's analogical. In other words, all fathers are analogically related to the father. Like we, our fatherhood as church dads, um, we possess something in a lesser degree than the ultimate father, the unsourced source, the, the one that all things came from. And so fatherhood is a participation in that ultimate father figure. So the only true analogy for the Trinity is uh, the psychological analogy, which is, um, you know, related to the intellect and the will. But the idea of the soul, the inner life of a human being, okay, we're talking about the inner life of the supreme being. So let's look at the inner life of a human being, because our existence is a participation in that supreme being. We're analogically related to God. You know, we exist, we have a being, but he is the ultimate being. You know, so we kind of rise higher and higher till we get to the supreme being. This is one of the proofs for the existence of God, according to St. Thomas. You know, that there must be a supreme being, a source of all existence. But the human soul um, is different from an animal soul in the fact that we have an intellect and a will. That we have the ability to reason and that we have the ability to freely choose. We do not act on instinct. And this is... Um, this is an attribute of the rational soul that we have as human beings. And so if we look at the, the human soul and the acts of the human soul, of this intellect and the will, we can see, like in a mirror dimly, the, the processions of the person in God. Like we can see the Holy Trinity. We can see the relationships. Um, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all relational words. You know, father, you cannot be a father without having a child. So there's, there must be a child. You cannot be a son without having a father. And spirit literally means uh, breath. You know, you can't have breath without something breathing, you know. Everything relates back to one another. You cannot have a father, a son, or a spirit in a vacuum. Um, so if you look within the human soul and you see the act of the intellect and the act of the will— you see in an analogy, a true analogy, the procession of the Son and of the Spirit, you know, in the Trinity. A human soul, when you look at something, when you have knowledge of an object, you could say that you have apprehended or you have taken that object, the essence of that object. When you look at something, you see a chair, you extract from it, using your intellect, the essence of what a chair is. You know, you see a chair, you recognize it as a chair, not just a specific chair, but you recognize it as a, a chair. So that anything that is similar to that chair, you would call it a chair. And in your mind, you express it through what's called an inner word. You haven't spoken chair yet. You just, this inner word enables you to identify other objects as chairs, even if they're called by other names. The idea of an inner word that you, that you express in your intellect is the reason translation is possible. The reason somebody who speaks a totally different language can tell me the name 
for chair. The only reason I grasp that and understand it is because our inner words are exactly the same. So don't think of it as like an English word. It's this, we've, we have looked at that chair, we have apprehended its essence, and now we have this inner word in which we can look at all objects that are chairs and recognize them as such. It's this incredible act of the intellect that is almost instantaneous and that separates us from all other animals on earth. This idea to, that we can abstract things, take them out of this specific realm and abstract it in, in our heads and come up with this inner word, that is incredible. So the chair, in essence, has become, one, has become part of us. Now, no matter where we go, we can recognize chairs because we've abstracted the essence of chairness. Well, that is a dim analogy of what's happening in God. In God, there's only one adequate object, quote, object, worthy of his infinite knowledge, and that's God himself. And in his total self-knowledge, the Father eternally, that means outside of time, generates a word, an inner word, a word that possesses the divine essence completely and is in fact also a person, a perfect image of the Father. So it's not like how I apprehended the image of chairness. He's apprehending himself in his own essence, and that inner word now completely possesses the divine essence. And when I say now and then, and we have to think outside of time, this is eternal. This is perpetual. So we have something like in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later on in John, Jesus says, I think it's John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I and the Father are one? Father, That I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. So there's this idea. So that is the Son, the eternally sort of generated uh, word of God. Made flesh. <clears throat> yeah, and he's made flesh. That's a little bit different. We're talking outside of time, outside of anything visible. This is the Father and the Son. And yes, that Son is then incarnated in the flesh and becomes the word made flesh who dwells among us, which is insane. It's incredible. Okay. So then we move on to the other procession because we have this act of the, the intellect, the word, but we still haven't got to the Holy spirit. So within the human soul, we also have what's called the act of the will. So we have the ability as humans to choose and we choose on the basis of our appetites you know, natural, animal, intellectual, you know, and our intellectual appetites or this des desires are the highest inclination that we have. The idea that our intellect desires things. And that's what philosophers refer to as the will, you know, that we're making a choice. It's not just, you know, I desire food. It's like I, there's this spiritual appetite that I have. And that desire is the will. And the will naturally gravitates toward the good, though since the weakening of sin, you know, our will is often attracted to the lesser good, <laughs> but our will is always attracted and gravitates towards the good. And this principle of movement, this movement towards the good is what love is. That's what we call love. Without love, nothing would act. Nothing would become, nothing would change because nothing would seek its good. 
Love is the root of all action. St. Augustine said, my love is my weight, you know, in terms of weight, like the heaviness. What I love, that's where I'm going to be drawn. Your love is what propels you. So the act of the will is rooted in love. It might be a love of a, of a lesser good, but it is rooted in love. Um, and since love manifests itself outwardly by, you could say, a sigh flowing forth from the heart by which it moves towards the beloved object um, or by the gift which is given and received as a pledge of love, you know, then this, this sigh of love, this giving of self, that's how that will is manifested. That's how the act of will is manifested in a human. And you think of anything that you love, you are moved towards it. You know, you want to be close to it. And that's love is a principle of action. Okay, so that's an, a human being. Now, in God, there's only one adequate object worthy of his infinite love, and that's the word. That inner word, the infinite self-knowledge that is also a person. And the mutual love that the Father and Son have for one another is so infinite that from it proceeds, eternally proceeds a third person, the spirit or breath, sigh, the gift of them both to one another. The spirit is co-eternal and also then possesses the divine essence completely because it has been poured out in the gift of self from Father and Son. It's the love that is shared between them. It, and so we look at the human act of the will, and it's a dim analogy of the ultimate reality of this love that is a person, this this procession of the Spirit. So in John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it was with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that's the most beautiful image of the Spirit, I think, that you can find in the Scripture. Because when you go outside on a windy afternoon and you look up at the trees in your backyard and you see them moving, do you see the wind? No. You see the trees moving in the wind. And that is what it is like to look at someone who is born of the Spirit. You look at someone's life and you see the Spirit by the movement in the person's life. Because the Spirit is all about the will, about movement, about love. And so right there in the very beginning of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, we have this beautiful verse that says, God, at the beginning of time, created heaven and earth. Earth was still an empty waste, and darkness hung over the deep, but already over its waters stirred the breath of God. And so sometimes we can think of the Spirit as being like the like we're living in the age of the spirit. Finally, we had the mean old father in the Old Testament, and then the son came, you know, in Jesus Christ, and now we live in the age of the spirit. But really, it's the it's backwards. It begins with the spirit, who moves us towards the ultimate revelation of God in the son, who then leads us to the father. That's why in the mass, all of our prayers are directed to the father through the son by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, that's the Holy Spirit who moves us to our perfect end, to our ultimate happiness, to what we were made for, the Father. Love it. So. Woof. That's mind-blowing stuff, Curtis. <clears throat> so Sorry just... if that's a little too a little too heady, but that's the only true analogy for the Holy Trinity. Sure. No, yeah. this is fantastic. So, excellent. Let's take a breath. Ha. <laughs> and uh, we will be back. We're going to jump into Scripture. Where does the Holy Spirit exist in Scripture? And Curtis just alluded to it in <clears throat> the very beginning. And we will touch on that again. So, this is the Church Dads Podcast. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church Dads. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and Curtis just blew all of our minds. Love it, as you always do, in a good way, Curtis. All right. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, how, do, how do we see um, what represents the Holy Spirit in Scripture? And uh, I had mentioned it before that, you know, it appears that we, the human beings— um, might need some help visually sometimes. And so a lot of times we see the Holy Spirit in several different ways. I'll mention three of them. One is the dove. You know, Jesus is baptized, and you can look to Matthew chapter 3, right? And he's baptized, and we see the dove. This is my beloved son. Right. Which, is, which interestingly enough, um, during the uh, what we would call the epiclesis, it's basically the uh, uh, during the Mass, the priest is asking, calling down from on high, right, um, right, to invoke the Holy Spirit on these gifts. Well, um, in the Eastern churches, the priest is actually doing this this wing motion to come down, representing the Holy okay. Spirit during the epiclesis, to come down. To, Flapping to, their wings. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so we often see dove, and how many worship aid covers have you seen at Pentecost where the cover is a dove? Love the dove. Um, another representation of the Holy Spirit is, uh, or a tangible sign of the Holy Spirit, um, is the fire, right? So, like maybe fiery tongues, or that's a, like little little tongues of flame. Let's just make sure that okay, yes, that's, that's tongues. not tongues after Ooh. eating a bunch of buffalo wings, which would be delicious right now. But and so you know, through the the traditions and centuries of the church, there's um, it's they've tried to grab these little flames and represent them physically. So, for instance. At the, at the Pantheon, um, a lot of times they would, you know, the Pantheon is this massive church in Rome, which used to be of the Romans, and it was essentially baptized by the Catholics, and now it's a, you know, it's, it's the Pantheon. Well, there's a hole in the very top of the ceiling, right, Curtis? Yes. We've been there, and yes. um, they will drop um, rose petals down, and so you, you can imagine all these little fluttering flames of rose On petals. Pentecost? Uh-huh. Pentecost? And that, another interesting... Um, we go to the Maronite liturgy. You'll love this one. At the Easter vigil, they'll drop fiery coals into the baptismal water. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like, like a this, sauna. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's like this fiery 
or Holy Ghost comes down onto the water to make it holy. It's, it's oh. like they physically do it. Can you and imagine? then you'd get the cloud too, which is another uh, manifestation of the spirit in the scripture is that luminous cloud, a cloud mm-hmm. that both gives light and obscures at the same time. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that would not fly in the Madison mm. Place Elementary Gymnasium where we do our <laughs> Easter vigil. Yeah, oh boy. So yeah, and uh, actually at St. Peter's Basilica, they don't do this anymore, but the way they used to do is take little pieces of paper and light them on fire and let them kind of float around. It sounded kind of dangerous to me. <laughs> uh, I don't wow. think it's done anymore, but uh, anyway. But the water... The, the Maronite liturgy with the water at the Easter Vigil is really great because it segues to maybe one of the most important um, tangible signs of the Holy Spirit, which is water. You know, we're, we, we ourselves were born of water. You know, we're in at least of a water. We're in the womb. But with baptism, we're reborn of water. And so, yes, back, you mentioned it in Genesis. What does it say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, capitalized there, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. You mentioned this in our baptism episode. So you've got God over water with hovering over the water, right? Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. And so, and so the spirit is with us now. It is with us. Um, and Adam and Eve, of course, what did they do? Well, they break that covenant. And so God essentially it's, it's takes, well, not doesn't take water away physically, but the spirit, the, the spirit of water is taken away, mostly anyway. And we can read about this in like Psalm 104. It says, you take back your spirit and they die, returning to dust from which they came. Right. Um, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. We're created when God gives us the spirit and you renew the face of the earth. So Genesis, we've got God hovering over the water and God takes that spirit away. We return to dust. It's as if we die. And so essentially it's a long span of time now where we're waiting for the spirit to return to us. And so fast forward to Mary. Mm-hmm. And what does the word Mary mean, Curtis? Uh, it comes from Hebrew Miriam. I think there's some debate about what that name means. There right? is. And, okay. it, and, and right, because it's, it's no one really knows. But if we go back through tradition, um, the most interesting uh, translation or, or, or representation of the word Mary seems to be like ocean or sea. Okay. And we hear this. In, I see in, where you're going. Uh-huh, and we hear this. <laughs> Uh, in hymns like Ave Maristella, um, Hail, Star of the Sea. Um, you know, because uh, what is it? Ave, that's um, Latin for sea or ocean. Okay. So hang with me. Hang so on. we've got Mary and water. We've got a source of natural and supernatural life within her womb. Um, and so then we jump to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and it says this. The Holy Spirit, capitalized again, the Holy Spirit will come on you, will hover over you almost, will Mm -hmm. come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's like God's all-consuming, hovering over, not water this time, but 
water, but the star of the sea. He's hovering over this woman, Mary, which harkens back to Genesis um, 1. And so now the Holy Spirit unites with water, Mary, to create um, the most perfect divine human, giving us water back, giving us water back. So it's almost like he's hovering over her as he did back in Genesis. But right. uh, yes, Ave. So the theme of water. Yes. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, because water, of course, is a principle of life. Mm-hmm. Just And that's what spirit means, animating or vital principle in, in man, a vital principle in man or animal. Like it's like breath or life, where we get the words like inspire, or expire, you know, you breathe out. But then also water has that significance, too, of that principle of life and also death. You know, water can destroy. Um, so that's very good, Mark. I like those connections that you're making there um, about w- the spirit hovering over the waters. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the dove being over top of of Christ at his baptism harkens back to the, the dove that comes to Noah after the flood. So you have the waters there as well with the olive branch in its beak, like a sign of peace and reconciliation. Um, but then you also, the Holy Spirit coming to, to dwell on, on a person, you know, that is also seen when like King David is anointed to be king or all the kings of Israel are, are anointed. They are literally Christ. You know, they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why you have Psalms like cast not your spirit from me because they'd received the spirit. They didn't have the, that Trinitarian understanding of what the spirit was, but they knew they'd been given this gift, this principle of life. Um, so that really works well with what you're saying. And um, uh, and then, of course, the greatest um, moment in the Old Testament was after the temple was built by Solomon and the the Holy Spirit actually comes and overshadows the Holy of Holies, like the temple, you know, like as at the consecration of this temple. And the, that exact language is used again, like the tabernacle with Moses, the temple with Solomon, and then Mary, again, the, the Holy Spirit overshadowing. Yeah, uh, who, so. who exists as like a tabernacle. That's right, of, a living ark, a living tabernacle. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Of this temple that is destroyed and rebuilt. And yeah, wow. So we're seeing a, like a connection of all of these different things, the anointing, water, mm-hmm. fire, cloud and light, uh, the hand, the finger, the dove, like the seal, like all of these images of the Holy Spirit. And of course, all of these things point to something greater, just like that wind. You know, we see it in the movement you know, and all of these other things. We see the Holy, the effects of the Holy Spirit. We rarely glimpse the Holy Spirit himself because, of course, the Spirit is invisible. <laughs> you know? It's not like Jesus who actually becomes flesh, that we can gaze upon him. The Holy Spirit is invisible. We cannot see him, but we can see his effects and we can feel his movement. And he's the one who who enables us to participate in that great dance of love that is the inner life of the blessed Trinity that we're invited to enter into. So. Excellent. This is the church dad's podcast. We're all consumed in the Holy spirit (laughs) right now. And, uh, no, go ahead. Well, 
um, as the month of June this year, you know, we have this Feast of Pentecost in which the Spirit um, is poured out upon the church as a whole. You know, in John chapter 20, the resurrected Lord appears to the 11 disciples and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, empowering them to go forth and forgive sins and retain sins. That's, a, that's a, We talked about that in a different episode. Mm-hmm. So the, the disciples, in a very real sense, had already received the Holy Spirit. But on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the whole church, which is about 100 <laughs> or so people at that time. Um, but I wanted to reflect a little bit on the significance of Pentecost itself in the life of the church, but also beforehand in the Old Testament. Did you know what the original name for Pentecost was? Because Pentecost is the name that um, Greeks who became Jews called this feast, which literally means 50 days, Um, Pentecost 50 days. The original name, and you can find this in Deuteronomy, it's one of the great feasts of the Jewish year of three. There's three feasts where Jews had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate. This was one of them, and it was called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks, uh, or another way they called it was the Week of Weeks, because it was seven weeks, 49 days, and on the 50th day, that was pe- the, the day of Pentecost. Um, and so what, what they did was, at Passover, that was when they um, offered God the first fruits of the harvest, and it happened to be barley. The harvest season was beginning, so they offer him the first fruits at Passover. Then exactly 50 days later, they offer him the first fruits of the wheat harvest. You know, like this huge, beautiful harvest season has taken place. This week of weeks, seven weeks, 50 days. And of course, the number 50 in the Old Testament is linked to like the the time of Jubilee. It's linked to the remission of guilt, of the canceling of debts. And so this this huge celebration, this seven-week celebration from Passover to Pentecost. And um, in later years in the Jewish faith, they also attributed it to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So Passover was when they escaped from Egypt, and then seven weeks later, they're around Mount Sinai, and they received the Ten Commandments. And so they also commemorate the giving of the law. Now, this is, this is incredible. Because as you know, Christianity is a fulfillment. It is the everything that came before is but a shadow of the reality that we now see in Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate revelation. And just as Moses goes up the mountain into a luminous cloud, you know, we have Jesus as we celebrate the ascension. He enters into heaven in a, lum- in a cloud, hides him from their view. And then the Spirit comes, the Word it's the, the law of God was the giving of himself. It wasn't just a bunch of rules. It was an expression of who God was in the, the Ten Commandments. And in Pentecost, we have the giving of the new law, which is God himself, the Holy Spirit. And we have this incredible reversal of the Tower of Babel also, where the people of the earth, and this is, I think, Genesis chapter 11, after the flood, the people of the earth, they want to build this tower all the way to the heavens. They want to be like God. It's the same sin over and over again. And God comes down there and confuses them and scatters them and makes them speak in different languages and scatters them out through through the earth. 
And here at Pentecost, God comes down to his people and he gives them himself the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. And he enables them once again to speak in other languages. But this time it's to reunite all of scattered humanity together into one body, to the, into the church. And it begins this great mission of reconciliation, which is really that mission of the Holy Spirit is to bring all scattered humanity back together again into one body to bring them back to the Father. It's, you know, um, some theologians call the Holy Spirit the soul of the church. So if you imagine that the church is a body, the soul of that body is the Holy Spirit. And that's an amazing thing to think of because you and I are members of a body. We share the same soul. We are each temples of the Holy Spirit and built into one, one temple of the Holy Spirit. So this begins at Pentecost, this idea that um, the, all of humanity is now being brought back together again. Yes, and they were on fire, and it's like literally. Yeah, they were on fire. <laughs> well, <laughs> they were dodging these flames, and no, but they—it's they, Babel in reverse. I've often wondered, like, why? Why wouldn't we use the Tower of Babel reading as the first reading? That would be Pente- great. You have to. It's still sort of technically, it's kind of like a hybrid. Right. Day. It's technically part of the Easter season, so we hear from uh-huh. Acts. Of course, okay. we got to hear yeah. from Acts. That's that that's why. Reading. So that's yeah. why. But I, I was, it was a year or so ago. I was like, man, why don't we use the Babel reading? But um, you have that's wind great. And, and the spirit at that moment, the yeah. wind and the spirit. And they're, they're on fire with the Holy Spirit. They now have life. God has given them the spirit through Jesus himself, gives the spirit that which, which taken away um, is now back. And they go forth. And of course, in the next chapter in Acts 2, you know, they baptize like 3,000 people. Like, um, right. And thus begins in the book of Acts, we see the story of Christ told again. So Luke just told the story in his gospel. Now he tells the story again, almost beat for beat. He tells the story of Christ again, only now it's through his body, the church. It's quite incredible. When you study the two two books parallel with each other, you actually see real parallels. Like Luke is an artist, and he's showing how the story of Christ continues now in the church. The Holy Spirit has now united them into one body, and that body is now going to go on, preach the kingdom, suffer, and be killed, but raise again. Like, it's it's really quite incredible. And, um, of course, we're all invited, because we live in that time still. You know, we are, we tell the, we are part of the story of Christ. It continues in the world, you know. And you mentioned earlier about the sacraments, and that epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, on the the bread and the wine mm-hmm. and the mass, but every sacrament has an epiclesis. Each of the seven sacraments has, because the Holy Spirit is the is the animating life giving principle, is the soul of the church, and sacraments are when we touch the body of Christ, are touched by Him, encounter Him, and so the Holy Spirit is always bringing us to Christ, who in turn brings us to the Father, and we enter into that divine life. We become partakers of the divine nature. It's mind-blowingly insane, Mark, what we believe. I mean, insane in a good way, but also insane in the sense of, this is insane. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. It's incredible. But if we're not right, we are. we should be committed into a hospital. 
if we're not right about this, if this is not true, then this is this is literally insane. But it is true. It's reality itself. Everything has always been pointing to it, you know. So, yeah, it is truth. <clears throat> truth itself. Um, truth himself, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. This is the Church Dads podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the Holy Spirit discussion. Curtis, mind-blowing stuff. Wow. And I, you could probably do three more episodes on the Holy Spirit. Well, wow. yeah, we could do all of our episodes because we're only speaking right now because we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's only by the Spirit that we can say Christ is Lord. So the Holy Spirit is what moves us, is what propels us, is what... The Holy Spirit is um, is the one that brings us to Christ and the Father. The Holy Spirit is the heart and soul of everything that we do. Um, now, I just wanted to, to point out, too, that the tongues of flame from Pentecost, you can see them in the church today in the miters that the bishops wear. Because that the little pointy hat that the bishop wears is meant to signify the flame, tongue of flame that was appeared over the apostles. So next time you see a bishop, maybe at a confirmation liturgy this month or another another liturgy, and you see that mitre on his head, that is uh, supposed to make us think of the the gift of the Holy Spirit that rests upon our bishops um, that that are meant to propel and guide them as they shepherd the church. And we need to pray for them because these are difficult days. So pray for your bishop. Absolutely. Very good. We are the Church Dads. This is the Church Dad Podcast, episode 12. Amazing. Yep. Yep. So we will reconvene again and, uh, you know, stick Maybe. with us. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> will we start another year? That's right. You never know. How about we skip episode 13 and just go straight to episode 14? Ooh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Well, this is the Church Dad's podcast. Mr. Keddy. Go home and love your families. Church Dads is a regular podcast hosted by Mark Hawes and Curtis Keddy. Join the discussion by emailing the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook facebook.com slash church dads podcast want to change the world go home and love your family